I'll pick up from the uh, second half of verse 19. Now for several days, he, speaking of Saul, was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And if you remember, Saul was blinded on that road, had an encounter with Jesus, and Ananias came and he prayed for him. And for several days, he was with the disciples that were at Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. And when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But the plot became known to Saul, and they were all also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple." Amen. Um, We've been plotting through the book of Acts, just kind of walking through the history of the early church. And we've seen from the preaching of Peter to the uh, designation of the leaders in the early church to serving tables and to the ministry of the word. And now we've been talking about the conversion of Saul. And as we see the central figure in in the New Testament and early church, we get a, a real glimpse into how things began for him. And the message today of defining moments, uh, we all will encounter these in life. We will encounter them in faith. We will encounter them in our careers. We will encounter them in our families and personal lives. That there are moments in which define us, in which really portray an accurate picture of how things are. And so to begin with, let me at least give you a few definitions of defining moments Dictionary.com says it's a point at which the essential nature or character of a person, group, or etc. is revealed. Okay? It's, it's the revelation of the essential nature and character. Okay? And so that moment uncovers something true about that person or group. A defining moment. Merriam-Webster says the time that shows very clearly what something is really about. So there might be a surface facade, but when we encounter these moments, it really shows what's underneath, what's really there. And the the definition that Google gives, if you put defining moment there, it says it's an event that typifies or determines all subsequent related occurrences. So to summarize it, it's a pivot point. That's what a defining moment is, right? It's a point at which there is a hinge and it pivots you into another line into the path that is in front of you, and it really uncovers the truth of who we are. A defining moment does. Now maybe you're thinking about the defining moments in your life, the, uh, the moments that really just set a course of how you thought, the decisions that you made, uh, the places you found yourself, and that those moments really typified the essence of what you're striving for. Defining moments do that for us. It forces us to think, what do I believe? Why do I believe it? And do I want to continue to believe it? 
That's what a defining moment is. It forces us to look inside real deep and say, what is really down there? Now, in the realm of faith, there might be moments in which you you sang some songs about Jesus at an early age, and maybe through the adolescent years, uh, you, you went to church because of parents. But there were moments in which there was a pushback in your faith from your peers. And that pushback forced you to think about, do I really want to go to church? Do I really believe in Jesus? Does it mean anything in my life? So the pushback does that because it's a defining moment. In your career, you had a moment where, whether it was a a standoff with a manager or boss or a great achievement or a significant event in your company and career, and that moment really solidified something. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. This is the project that really enlivens me. This is the thing that really gets me going, or this is the thing that I really hate. It's a moment that defines what you enjoy and what you continue to want to do. Paul, or Saul, before he became Paul, in our passage experienced these moments. These moments that really forced him to think about, what is this Jesus thing? I met this guy on the road and in this flash of light, in this audible voice, and I was blinded for three days. And I'm in Damascus and I saw a vision of a guy named Ananias come and pray for me. And after a period of a number of days, this guy, Ananias, knocks on the door and he knows that I am there. He knows my name and how I have come here. And he prays for me. Scales fall off my eyes and I immediately begin to preach Jesus. This is the scenario of Saul. And what he encounters in these subsequent days, weeks, and years really shows us what was really in that faith encounter. What he really thought about Jesus. What he really thought about his faith. And so over the course of this message, I'm going to talk about some defining moments that, that Saul went through and hopefully relate that to our lives. But before I get into the first point, let me say this that a person who has encountered Jesus in a personal and genuine way, that that faith is sturdy. Okay? So faith is not transferable. Now, I grew up in the church. Maybe some of you did as well, right? I mean, from a young kid, I remember going to church. And uh, weekends were church things. And I did activities. And I had church friends and school friends. And uh, when I went to church, I, I went to worship. And I didn't go to worship much in my teenage years. Um, I went to the pool hall down the street. And ponchos across the street to buy some tacos and, and play some billiards. But... Uh, Uh, Nonetheless, I I, I went to the church from a young age. But what is so important for a young person to realize growing up in the church is that faith is not transferable by bloodline. That I, I don't get the faith of my parents. That faith is not transferable because of environment. Because I go into a worship hall or sanctuary and because people are worshiping there, that worship doesn't transfer to me. Now, there is influence. Now, if I am next to people that are genuinely worshiping, of course, that makes an impact on me and my heart. And of course, there's an influence there. But faith in itself cannot transfer by bloodline, by environment. And it must be personal, genuine. That there must be an encounter that I have had with Jesus in order for my faith to be long-standing, sturdy, to have inherent power. And so we want to talk about that genuine faith and how when a person has genuine personal faith, how we can overcome these critical defining moments. We'll talk about the ones that Saul went through. 
Genuine faith overcomes critics. Okay? The critics who bind us to our past. Right? And so in our, in our passage, we see that, that Saul was immediately preaching Jesus. And now, do you remember the first time you came to faith? Was there a sense of excitement and that you just wanted to share that with somebody? Now Saul went through that, right? He has this encounter, this healing, and he's seeing now, and he knows that this is the way that Jesus is the Christ and the church is his body. And so he goes about preaching. Everywhere he goes, he goes into the synagogues, and he's telling people that Jesus is the Christ. And immediately after he starts this preaching, right from the beginning, verse 21, what does it say? What is the reaction? All right. Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name? All right. And so immediately the, 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 the hearers, the recipients of this preaching of Saul, begin to point a, this finger back at him and say, wait a minute, aren't you the guy that? How can you be saying this now? Weren't you saying that other thing before? Okay. Now, don't we all know somebody that always likes to remind us of our past? Right? Don't you hate arguing with people like that? Like they dig up the stuff from years past and like, you know, you did that 10 years ago. Wait, that was like 10 years ago, right? But these folks that were listening to the preaching here that they could not forget Saul and his past. Now, there definitely are folks like that in our lives, right? People that don't let us off the hook with our past mistakes. To be honest, we all have a checkered past, right? That we've all done things that we wish we hadn't. We've entered relationships that we shouldn't have. We've taken things that weren't ours. We've said things that we've regretted. And we've all done things in our past that's checkered, that's kind of darkened in in, in different aspects and in different ways. And people that have known us for years, people that have seen the mistakes that we've made and uh, the bad choices, that we come to a a place where we've believed in Jesus and we want to set a new course and we want to to write certain things in our lives and we want to, to live for a higher purpose and calling. And the people that know our checkered past, they begin to look at us in the lens of our past. They begin to see our actions today in light of the mistakes of yesterday. And we all have this tendency to do that, especially when we've known someone for years and they suddenly act out of character. Like, oh, wait a minute, Um, that's not really you, is it? And these guys were saying that to Saul. And so they're immediately saying, we're not listening to you because you actually had a, a different message in the past. And weren't you the one here that came to try to arrest these folks? And now you're preaching this very name. And so the pushback comes from digging up his past. And there were critics there, right? And so in this moment, Saul, he needs to be able to overcome that. And how he does that is really because of his genuine encounter, that faith that he had. And it shows his response, right? What does it say that he did? Verse 22, he kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Paul was able, Saul was able to embrace where he came from, the past, and I, I think it made him a, a better preacher and a better leader. Later in some of his writings, one of the things that he said was of himself, he called himself the chief of all sinners. And there was a, an impact I, uh, that I, I, I draw from that, that there was a man that understood 
where he came from, and he didn't try to hide it or run away from it. You know? A mark of spiritual maturity is really being able to embrace your past. That's a mark of maturity, right? When we try to run away from it and we hide it and we don't want to uncover that to people because we're afraid or shameful or guilt, guilty because of it, that's a sign that we really haven't matured in those areas. And so Saul, because of his genuine encounter with God, did not need to, to, to cover that up. And shame and guilt is an emotion that the devil gives to you, not something that God gives. The devil says, you know, look what you have done. Uh, You're not qualified. God says, you are more than enough. Look what I have done for you. And so shame and guilt is not something that God gives. It's definitely something that the devil gives. And these critics could have easily pointed that out and he could have felt that shame and that guilt. But that faith that is being uncovered in him, he keeps on persevering, gaining strength, continuing to preach and proving that Jesus is this Christ. And so, overcoming the critics who bind us to our past. The second thing that I'll note as a defining moment is the the moment of overcoming the antagonists, right? That oppose work, the work that we're called to do. And he continues to preach, and it says that after some time elapsed, the group of Jews decided, wait a minute, this guy's not stopping to speak in this name. Let's do away with him. And it's easy to read that and say, okay, well, you know, Saul, get over it type thing. But have we ever been in a space where someone has wanted to take our life because of something we have or believe in? Wouldn't that really call into question at least? Wouldn't we take a moment to think, is it worth giving my life for? Is this worth all of the hassle and heartache and trouble that people are bringing to me because of this Jesus that just recently entered my life? And he's coming to this space where people are opposing him because of his past. Now people want to kill him because of this name, Jesus. And this is definitely a moment in which he must decide, do I want to continue to believe in this? And do I want to continue to go forward here? Opposing the work that each and every one of us, if you personalize it, have been called by God in certain ways. That there is something that He desires of us. That something that He desires to do through us in the days that are in front of us. And there will always be, always be the antagonists who oppose that work. Because life will not be lined with cheerleaders all the way. That definitely God is faithful to give us those that will cheer us on, that will encourage and mentor us and shepherd and lead us by the hand. But there will always be those on the roadside that will start throwing stones and sticks. That will say, this is not a good thing. And they will oppose you, whether it be in your life of faith or to the practical vocational work that you are called to by God. There will be the antagonists, the ones that come against Not just rub you the wrong way, but seek to destroy and belittle all that we do. The antagonists will come. And so in those moments when we come face to face with them, it's easy to see them as a hurdle or a roadblock, right? And when we see a hurdle or a roadblock obstacle, we want to avoid it. Right? And so we see the antagonists and say, wait a minute, I don't like that. And we try to go a different route, having no contact. As we see Saul, the faithfulness of 
what God was doing in his life. And somehow that plan and plot of the Jews became known to him. And he was surrounded by some good folks, right? He was surrounded by people, whether they were some of the people that were with him on that path uh, to Damascus when Jesus uh, revealed himself to Saul. But he was surrounded by at least a few folks in Damascus that were trustworthy fellow co-laborers, disciples, it says. Okay? And so these disciples helping him lower him in a basket. I mean, you know, it just, it's just, it's kind of comical in a sense, right? Put him in a basket and lower him down the wall, right? They're just lowering him down the wall. And you, you got to think to yourself, right? You know, when you first start something, you really kind of, uh, draw your, 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 your perception of this entire future that's in front of you based on its beginnings. Like how you started, like you go to a new company, and how you start in that company is really kind of that sentiment that you have remaining with you through the long haul, how you start a relationship nonetheless, of course. Right? And so Saul now in this early stage of faith, in just beginning this preaching ministry, his early experiences running away and being lowered in baskets down a wall. And it's really unglamorous, to say the least. It's a moment that says, wait a minute, when I believed in Jesus, I, I, I thought that life would be filled with more beautiful things. I, I thought gardens and meadows and roses and, and petals, and I, I thought people would be cheering me on. What is this? Why is it starting this way? This is not what I wanted. This is not what I want for the rest of my Christian life. Maybe these are easy thoughts for Saul to have thought. And so through these defining moments and these very unflattering early beginnings, through the critics and the antagonists, we see Saul continuing to say, this is what I want to do. This is who I want to believe in. This is what I want to speak. And you can imagine that in the early church, there were many people that followed Jesus down the path. There were many people that were healed. There were many people that benefited from the itinerant ministry of Jesus and those early apostles. Thousands of them, you know. Multitudes flocked wherever they went. And you can imagine the percentages of folks that were filtered through because of the hardship. Because when it's unpopular to believe in Jesus and your entire family is casting stones at you, it is easy to say, okay, I, I, I won't believe in this then. I, I just went because I was curious. And can you imagine how many thousands of people were like that? Falling through the cracks, saying, okay, this is not what I want. Because they encountered those same defining moments. Saul was a person that we read of that passed them, that went through them and really said, this is what I continue to want to believe. But there are countless others not mentioned in Scripture who could not pay that price. That when faced with those moments that defined them in their faith and what they wanted to do, those moments that were so unglamorous in the beginning and say, this is not what I signed up for. And it is so easy to hightail out and to, to, to back out of that and take a different course of action because of the hardships. And so from Saul, what we see is when we encounter those defining moments that a person with genuine faith that is really personal, that is, that is sunken deep into their hearts and lives, that that faith perseveres. The last defining moment. 
overcoming skeptics. That genuine faith overcomes skeptics who doubt our progress. Now, the critics were the ones who bind us to our past. The antagonists were the ones that oppose our work. And the skeptics are the ones that say, you know what? I, I really don't believe you've changed much. Right? And they, they doubt the progress of our lives. If you think about where Saul was here, okay? he's in Damascus. He's a former Pharisee, a Jew of Jews, right? a religious leader of his day in the Jewish community, having this encounter with Jesus, blinded, healed, now preaching Jesus. The very group that he came from, which was the Jewish group, the Jews, they denied him and then wanted to subsequently kill him. And so he's lowered in a basket out of the wall of Damascus and he makes his way in subsequent time and he finds his way to Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem, he's trying to get close to the people that now he's associated with. What's that now? The Christians. So he's left the Jews and he's wanted now to be a part of the Christian group, follower of Jesus. And so the one that he left, they want to kill him. The one that he wants to go to, they want nothing to do with him. This is not an easy place. Right? Have you ever gone to a, 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 a new community or a new space and you really didn't have a, a place to belong? How terrifying is that? Right? I remember, uh, I mean, I moved a lot as a, as a young kid. And I remember going to a new school and the first day of school, the most terrifying time of that first day was actually the lunch hour. Right? It's terrifying. I mean, I remember so clearly. I was a senior. I, you know, I, uh, by this time, you feel like you should be somewhat secure in yourself, right? 17 years old in a brand new school, Killarney Secondary School in Vancouver, British Columbia. I moved from L.A. back up to Vancouver, and lunch hour came. I'm down. I got that tray, and I'm going down that cafeteria lunch line, right? And by the time I hit the end of it, I am absolutely terrified to turn around terrified, right? Because as soon as I turn around from that counter, I have this entire lunchroom in front of me and I have nobody making eye contact and calling for me. I have nobody saying to me, why don't you sit down next to me? I have nobody to go to, nobody waiting for me. Not belonging anywhere is such a terrifying moment, not just for an adolescent, but also for an adult. And Saul here, he belongs nowhere, if you think about it relationally now, right? The group that he was so much a part of, the Jewish religious group, now, all right, I'm going to kill you. Now the Christian group that I'm now a part of, I believe in Jesus, I I don't believe that you're really a Christian, I want nothing to do with you, I'm afraid of you, right? And so now in this space, would this be the hardest of the defining moments? Would this relational rejection be even greater than the threatening of his life? Okay, you've questioned my past. You've threatened my life. But having, not wanting, having to do anything to do with me, how great is that hurt? And that moment to say, do I really want to be a part of this group? Do I, do I really want to persevere in this? Do I really want to stay a Christian? I mean, it hasn't been that long, my track record here. I mean, no one's really going to miss me if I hightail out of here. These are all thoughts that can go through a person's head. And in those moments, how we decide determines the future trajectory of our lives. It really determines the quality of everything we will experience going forward from that point.
It happens in faith, in career, in family, in all of our personal lives. That when we encounter those moments that define us, and we always look back to that marker, that marker, that decision that we made in that day, in that moment, that really changed the course that we traveled. Saul, faced at least the three that I gave to you. And in each instance, what we know from Scripture is that he chose to continue to go forward because of the genuineness of his faith. And so I begin to to wrap this up. You guys can come back. I've mentioned this before. Um, In the Christian life, second only to love, I would say probably one of the greatest characteristics and qualities that we must possess as a Christian and a follower of God is perseverance. Love is primary. Love is up there. It, it, It is on the pinnacle of Christian character, ethics, and action, of belief and truth. That's love. Right? How we treat others, how we love God and love others. That is up there. But just a small step down from that, if you think about the one character quality that will impact everything in your life, it's perseverance. The ability, the tenacity, the grit to, to, to stay the course... Because I guarantee it, we all know this. Pushback, setback, obstacle, critics, antagonists, skeptics, they're always going to show their face. They're going to say, that's the wrong choice, that's the wrong action, you're not qualified, you can't do this, you don't have enough money, you don't have enough people. There are so many things that will, will come to us and say, in this moment, it doesn't feel good, I feel alone, I feel endangered, and so I'm just going to stop here. And how many visions are in a graveyard somewhere? How many callings of God lie six feet under because people did not persevere? How many small businesses, how many visions, how many organizations, how many good works lie dead and dormant somewhere because a person did not have the quality of perseverance? Because they just couldn't get beyond the critic, the antagonist, the skeptic. And because I couldn't get past it, it's dead somewhere. It's just left. It's abandoned on the roadside. It's an orphaned vision and calling. And so that's why I say perseverance, second only to love, is one of the greatest qualities we'll have in our lives. It'll impact everything from small to large. And so I say to you, persevere. Persevere. Dig deep, look at the genuineness of your calling and the action that you've put your hand to do. And despite who says this won't work, if you believe this is from God, push forward, persevere. Have the tenacity of Caleb, the perseverance of a Nehemiah. And in the presence of all those that want to break down walls and temple buildings, and say this isn't feasible 
there is a God that shows His face and says, actually it is. Persevere. That's number one. And my second takeaway is something that I'm going to build on next week. And it's to be in community. Because Saul was not by himself. He had a, a group around him from the early days, the group that lowered him through the wall. Next week we're going to talk about Barnabas, a, a great individual, supporter. And so to not go about life alone and to make sure we live and work in community. This is tremendously important. Let us never think we ought to live our Christian lives or personal lives alone. That we must be intentional about being a part of a community and allowing that community to affect us and to be a part of our everyday decisions. That's so important. To not be an island unto ourselves, to live alone and isolated, but to be in community. And so I leave you with those two thoughts. Persevere and be in community. Amen.